I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of John chapter 9. I've got an instruction this morning and uh, the Lord said to teach first and then we're going to worship a little bit later to prepare us for this because the Lord said I want you to begin to, to preach on worship. I think we're going to be on this for some time. As a title, we're going to call the series, If Any Man Be a Worshiper of God. Of course, that's the scripture. Most of you are familiar with it. But again, it says, if, you know, that if clause is what I want to deal with. If any man be a worshiper of God. You could say, if you choose to be a worshiper of God. I, I want to go ahead and preface it with this. There's a lot of things I'm going to want to say about worship that I'll not be able to say this morning because it just time won't permit it. But we will get into that as the weeks go and progress. Amen. I, I really wanted to teach on the lifting of hands, why we do that. I, I, I get real aggravated when people say, oh, that lifting hands, that's a Pentecostal thing. No, no, it's a Bible thing. Amen. Some Pentecostals happen to do it, and it's this not to promote Pentecostal churches or not promote them. That's not, not even the issue. You know, I could give you 23 scriptures, which I will do one Sunday. I could give you 23 scriptures that talk about the lifting of hands. But today I'm just going to center up as an introduction into worship and I'm going to tell you why as a church we worship and why it's important that when we come into church is because we have a tendency, I've seen it, we come, whether it's Sunday morning or Sunday night, we'll come and sit down, flop in our seat and not speak to anybody until we're told to hug next. But when we say hug next, there's a purpose behind that. It's not to kill time. I mean, how many of you know I can kill enough time for us all? It's not a killing of time, but it's to get us to connect. And this is why I don't like us spread out all over the church. It's because we're disconnected, and as a body, we have to be connected. And if our worship is disconnected from one another, then it's not the worship the way God needs it from a congregation. And, and there's things to say about worship that are very, really important, valuable, because it's not what we do in public right. in worship that really counts if we're not already doing this in private. Right. I found over the years, 40 in ministry, and I've seen a lot of times that we make a mistake. Sometimes we'll put people on the stage to lead in worship that is not a worshiper at home. Yeah. And so then it becomes a, an insincere thing. So worship has to be an overflow yes. stemming from the heart of, of what you do as an individual. And so if I had the time now, i give you scriptures. We'll do it through the series, I think. But I wish I had the time to show you scriptures that talk about all the people that you want the same benefits that they got in the Bible. Most all of your major healings, you know, all those people that would come to him, sometimes they wouldn't even get what they need. Think of the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, didn't even get what she needed. The more she asked, the less she got and Jesus seemed to ignore Well, I didn't no seem to it. He ignored her. But you know what? And, and then when he finally did speak to her, because the disciples kept on saying, you, you know, just send her away. Jesus wasn't trying to keep a miracle from her. He was trying to get her to a place where she could receive her miracle and, and said some things that sparked enough energy in her. But the next verse says, and she worshiped him. Or Bartimaeus that was told to be quiet and shut up. And, and Jesus said, what do you want? And the Bible says that he worshiped Jesus. And he got his miracle of healing. Amen. And so most all the people you read about in the Bible from Old Testament, see Abraham, you know, blessing of Abraham, right? You ever notice that's not the blessing of the Jews? Jews is only a short name for the, for the tribe of Judah. That's only one of the 12 tribes. What about the other tribes? The tribe of Nassar, the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Benjamin, and all the other tribes. Well, see, it wasn't the, the blessing of the Jews. It was the blessing of Abraham. That's right. Amen. 
And you and I fall an heir to that blessing. Galatians chapter 3 says we are. But Abraham, who you want to walk in the same blessing that he walked in, the scripture makes it real plain. He was a worshiper of God. And, and he even said himself, I lifted my hands to the Most High God. Which is, which is a sign of worship or a sign of obeisance, which is, is giving honor as somebody greater in your presence. We think of a performance when someone does a performance and the crowd is clapping, you know, and the audience is, is giving them that round of applause. A lot of times they might come out and uh, curtsy or they will bow. But how many of you know they're not bowing because they're saying, oh, don't clap for me, you're better than I am. No, they're not. How many of you know they're saying, I deserve this, thank you so much, right? But see, that's not obeisance. But what obeisance is, is when, I, when a person bows in the presence of another because it's not me, it's you. Right. And this is why worship is so important in church. You know, all the things that we want to see happen that's related around church, healings, miracles, signs, wonders, there's not one of them that you and I can do. Right, that's right. Amen. Not a one of them. If, if we could do those things that we want to see done, a person saved out of a life of, of destruction, whether self-destruction, they're destroying themselves, it can be drugs or it can be attitudes, it can be anything. If we wanted to see a person saved out of destructive attitudes, we want to see a per- person healed from sickness or disease or, or a marriage restored, all those things right. that we want to see done, right. all those things that we want to see restored in people's lives, that you and I are just hopeless to do them. Right. If we could do them, we wouldn't even need God. We wouldn't need him at all. If we could do those things, we wouldn't need a God to provide those things. We'd just be a God unto ourselves and do those things ourselves. But we can't do them without God. And we don't have the ability or the capabilities of doing them. And so what we're doing in worship, now this is important that we learn this key about worship. We're not worshiping him to say, if I worship him, I'll get this. That's the wrong motive in worship. I worship him because he can do it. I worship him because I can't do it. I worship him because he can and I can't. In other words, we worship Him for who He is, not for what I can get from Him. The idea is I'm worshiping Him because He's greater. I'm worshiping Him because He's creator. I'm worshiping Him because He's above all, and He's all to be worshiped. And and so when God says, I'll not give my glory to another for you to worship another God, but there's only one God that you're supposed to worship. What I mean is when Paul said that, that's a New Testament scripture, when Paul said there's God's many with a little g, when there's God's many, it means there's a lot of people that people refer to as gods, right. whether they're the uh, demigods. That, that means that's what man calls gods. Mm-hmm. And, and I used to think, well, I'm not an idol worshiper. I mean, back years ago, I thought, I'm not an idol worshiper. I don't have an idol because I knew people that had Buddhas in their basement and they were, or they did incense to ancestral worship. I, you know, you know people like that. People in your neighborhood do that. And so there's people like that. And I said, well, I don't do that. But see, it doesn't have to be something that you proclaim as an idol right. that you bow down to. It can be anything that That's takes right. the place of God in yes. your life. Amen. And Amen. one of the most dangerous Amen. ones in that is materialism. That's right. Amen. Jesus called it mammon. It wasn't money. It is not, mammon is not money. Now, money is very involved in it. But what mammon really is is the concept that money can meet my needs. Right. Amen. If I just had money. I've got a lot I'd like to tell you about heaven's economy. A lot of times people say, if I just had money. Well, see, God said, oh, you're saying money would be your God. Money would take care of you. If I just had money, I could do this. It's a very dangerous thing. And some of you challenge me in that because that's how close money can become. Because Jesus only said that about mammon 
He said, he didn't say about other things. He said, you can't serve God and mammon. Right, amen. Because that's the most dangerous thing to the the people as becoming a God. And as you've heard, and I'm not going to get into it today, but you know, a boat can become a God to some people. That's right. Right. You know, if that takes you away from God on, on, you know, times of worship and all. Sometimes a family member, a wife or a husband, and Jesus said, said, you've got to love me more than you love wife or husband. Right, 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 right. Amen. Or or even children. You know, you've got to love me first. That's right. And so that's, that's an important thing that we understand that even people can take that place of God in our lives if we're not careful. And the point about that, a boat, a wife, a husband, money, all of those make a poor God because they cannot do what God can do. And so that's why God is to be worshipped and Him alone to be worshipped. And then we're going to talk about that, just kind of introduce that today. But, but make sure that this is something I just really want to say. Make sure when you enter church, start it in the parking lot, start connecting. Yes. Don't come and sit like we're at a funeral, you know, and just sitting there waiting on something. And then when we're told to go shake hands and hug necks and, you know, go hug, you know, we're like, like we're mechanical. And don't do that. There's a real purpose behind going hugging, getting up out of your seat, going around loving on somebody because it's a connection. It's a heart connection. But don't wait till the middle of the service to do that. Do that when you start walking in the door because the more connected we are, the stronger our worship becomes. The stronger our worship becomes, the more presence of God manifests. And that's what I, my assignment is to show you this morning from the scriptures, okay? You've got John chapter 9, right? You've already found that. I'm going to call your attention to the screen first of all, and then we'll, we'll go down and read it. And I'm going to give you some scriptures fast. So if you're a note taker, write this down. I'm going to give you the scriptures. I'm going to give you seven scripture references. Write it down really fast so you'll pay attention up here. John 9, 31. Just jot them down. John 9, 31. Psalm 85, 9. You can abbreviate Psalm. Psalm 103, 11. All these are Psalms, so you don't have to write any more. 111, verse 5. 115, verse 11. 115, verse 13. And then 147, verse 11. You ready? Now look, look at this on the board. So we're talking about if any man be a worshiper of God. And today I want to talk to you about true worshipers. What is a true worshiper? In John chapter 9, verse 31, you notice on the screen it says, Now we know that God... Heareth not man. Now, I tell you who said that this was the blind man that had just gotten a miracle, and the religious leaders told him, Don't give Jesus the credit for it, you know, and that kind of thing. And said, Jesus, they called Jesus a sinner. And this blind man said, Well, all I know is I was, I was blind and now I see. He said, That's the only thing I understand is I used to be blind now I see, and I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but here's what I do know is watch this. This is what the blind man said. One of the, some of the best wisdom that you'll ever hear out of the Bible. It came from a man that had just got his miracle. Not the religious leaders, not the preachers. This is just a man that just got his miracle. Are you ready? He said, now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man will be a worshiper of God, him, of course we know we spend a lot of time talking about do what the word of God says. But he says, if you'll be a worshiper of God and do his will, that person, him, will God hear. In fact, look at it. The underline that worshiper of God. It's, It's the person that is a worshiper of God. And again, the clause is, if any man will be a worshiper of God. And you're going to have to make the decision if you are or if you aren't. If you will or if you won't. Are you a worshiper of God? Now, I'm going to give you the best Bible definition I can so you won't go out of here thinking my definition or your definition. We're going to stay with God's definition of what a worshiper of God is. Right? Okay? Now, now look at this. See where he says, he says, if you've been, any man be a worshiper of God, that's the person that God will hear. The Living Bible puts it like this. God has open ears to those who worship Him. So my question is, looking at this, is it worth it being a worshiper of God? Well, from this verse it is, God has open ears to that person. 
I mean, that's what we spend most of our life doing. Say, boy, if I could just get the ear of heaven. Well, worshipers get the ear yes. of heaven. Amen. You already wrote down these scriptures. I gave you six more to write down. You already jotted them down. So just look on the screen and look at them real quickly with me and see if being a worshiper has enough benefits that you say, I'm going after this. Amen. Psalm 85.9 says, Truly his salvation is near to his worshipers. Salvation is his delivering power. Surely God will deliver the person that worships him. Anybody ever need deliverance? I mean, you could deli need deliver from bondage. Sometimes you need deliver from a bad situation. Sometimes you need deliverance from ill attitudes. I mean, whatever somebody's doing or, or poor financial state, whatever it might be, you can be delivered from that because salvation's near to a worshiper. Amen. Next one, Psalm 103 says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is God's mercy to his worshipers. All these six I'm about to read you, the two previous now and the next four, are all out of the Bible in basic English, by the way. It, you might not see it that way in your King James. It'll usually say to the one that fears God, that's the worshiper. So he says, for as the heaven is high above the earth, his, so great is God's mercy, or his mercy is available to his worshipers. Wow. Another one, Psalm 111, 5 says, he has given food to his worshipers. You, you'll never have empty cabinets if you're a worshiper Ooh, of God. You'll never be trying to spread rice out for a week Come on, that's good. to cover your meals Lord, or looking for lunch money for your children under the seat of the sofa and that kind of thing. Good. You'll never Amen. go through that Amen. if you're a worshiper Amen. of God. This is, this is serious stuff. Amen. I remember hearing Norval Hayes. Norval Hayes is a great friend of this ministry who's in heaven now. And you all know him. I mean, just absolutely love that man. And he's in heaven now. I remember him saying something. Do you all remember way back in the, I guess in the 80s, and it could have been, this could take place in different times. But remember when Ethiopia was in such a major drought years ago? And I mean, it just always they were posting the pictures of the, the children. And they still go through this at times. So, but I'm talking about, I think it was back in the tail end of the 80s. And just all the time you were seeing pictures of the people in the little swollen bellies. I don't mean full bellies. That means starvation is set in. And, and of course, they were just burying people, sometimes mass graves in villages. And, and, and Norval said something that a lot of Christians took as harsh when he said it. But here's what he said. If Ethiopia will go back to worshiping God, the rains will come. Wow. And he reminded us of a time that, remember when the queen of Ethiopia had her eunuch, the treasurer, had been to Israel to worship and was going back. This was in the book of Acts. You just read it recently. And in the book of Acts, and there was, Philip was there, and God said, join yourself to that chariot, jumped up in the man's chariot and, and led him to the Lord, stopped at a watering hole and baptized him. The man went back into Ethiopia, and history tells us that Ethiopia became a Christian nation from his influence. And that's why there has a lot of Christian influence that you see in that nation even today. But they got away from God and they began to serve other gods and the droughts came. And that's what Norval said. If Ethiopia would go back to worshiping God, the, the rains would come and the crops would grow and the people wouldn't starve if they just go back to worshiping God. Brother Norval was big on worship, very big on worship. So look at this again. He says he's given food to his worshipers. Mamas don't ever fail to worship God and watch God fill up your cabinets. Psalm 115.11 said, He's able to help. Notice what I'm underlining because I want you to see this. Is it worth being... A, he's able to help. He gives help to the worshipers. Amen. Well, that help covers whatever any of us need in That's here today. Right. God is a very present help, the Bible says, in time of trouble. And He's there to help His worshipers. Amen. I love it. And look, keep going. Two more. It says, He'll send blessings on the worshipers of the Lord. Amen. I'm telling you, it's worth being a worshiper. Teach me how to worship. The Lord, then he says, the Lord takes pleasure in his worshipers. Look at John chapter 4, 23, up on the screen just for a minute. I still haven't got you to where you've, you're open to John 9. We'll read that in just a minute. But remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well of Samaria? 
And she says, you know, well, where are we supposed to worship? We hear we Samaritans say we worship here at Jacob's well and places like that. But you, you Jews say you've got to worship in Israel. And here's what Jesus answered. He said, well, I'll tell you this. This is Jesus talking. He said, the hour's coming, and now is the time. It's right now, actually, he Amen. said, when the true worshipers... Everybody say true worshipers, because that's what I want to deal with today. Not false worshipers, right. not play-like worshipers, right. Amen. not just worshipers in a crisis to get something. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now, you'll be surprised. That, that's definitely what you need to do is worship God in a crisis, but I'm just saying not just when you just come out of that thing. I'll tell you why in just a minute it makes sense to you. But notice Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit. Amen. And then I underline for you the word truth. See, it goes back to true worshipers, truth. Amen. Now, in the Spirit, you know, I, I could talk to you about that. What does it mean to worship the Father in the Spirit? Well, that means with the whole heart. Amen. The Spirit of man. You worship God with the heart. Can you worship God any other way? Yeah, falsely you can. Yeah. See, remember Jesus said, these people draw near to me with their lips. Right. What they say, but their heart is far from me. So we're not talking about being like that. We want to, we want to overcome that. We want to be a worshiper that worships God from the heart. Hallelujah. And somebody says, how do I know if it's good? Well, you, you don't even have to know if it's good. God knows it's, yes. it's good. Amen. You just put your whole heart into That's it right. to be a worshiper of God, your whole heart. So it says a true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And notice then he adds this, and the Father, Jesus said, Father God is, he seeketh such to worship him like that. He's looking for people like that. Yes, he is. Why? Because he's got a lot of blessing and a lot of, a lot of things he wants Amen. to do. He's got everything that you'll ever need. And he's looking for somebody that will worship him like that so he can get it to them. Amen. And, That's right. and Amen. you're going to be that candidate, yes, we right? Are. Amen. Well, I tell you what, before we read this in John 9, let, let me give you some definition to this word true. I want you to look at this real quickly. Is this all right today? Yes. So when we look at this scripture, true worshipers and worshiping in truth, you have to ask these questions. Well, what is a true worshiper? Who are true worshipers? Yes. And then what is true worship? The word true here in the Greek, now just write some of this down. The word true means a living connection between what is true and its source. And so that's why we go back to the original language so often to see what's actually being said. And this word true literally means, what I'm trying to say is we know English pretty well. But how many of you use words in the English language that you really don't even know? What they mean. I find myself that because you, you hear people say words and then you right. use them and you find out later <laughs> that's not even the way it's supposed to be used. Right, amen. Especially if you're an orator or you stand up and preach a lot, you find out later, oh, I was using that word and it didn't even, that wasn't even what it, and I've been using that for 33 years. What I'm trying to get across to you is if you had been a Greek ear person, mm-hmm. whenever this word truth is used, you would understood this definition if you knew what it meant, of course. Okay. The people standing there when Jesus said the true worshipers Mm -hmm. didn't have to pull out a dictionary right quick and find them. What does he mean, true worshipers? They already knew what this word meant. But we don't, so we got to study it. So this word true, and and you want to write this down, it means a living connection between the truth, the fact, and its origin. In other words, this is so true that here's, here's the best way to say it. I just now this just jumped up in my spirit. I want this is good. He said, This is so true it comes from God Himself. Amen. The source. That's what yes. he's really trying to get across. That's what's good about the Bible, because it's so true that it came from God itself. That's right. Amen. Amen. My, I had a statement growing up when I was a little kid, because we had a babysitter, Miss Franks. Etta Franks was my babysitter. And next door to her in the projects where she lived, mother and daddy would take us there, and you know, because mother and daddy both worked in the 60s and, and we'd go there. But next door was Michael Bates. Yeah. 
And he was an older man full of wisdom. He had to be at least eight when I was five. He, he had a lot more experience, Michael Bates. And so I went home every day to my mother and say, Michael Bates said, and Michael Bates said, and I, remember, I never thought about it, but I remember one time mother looked and she was washing dishes and just stopped, turned around and said, what is so big about Michael Bates? I said, he's eight. He knows everything. No, really. But I mean, I just thought, cause, but how many of you know, you learn later that it might have been true according to his thinking. But that truth wasn't really connected. Now, Michael's still around, so he's, he hears this. He'll think I'm talking bad about it. I'm just using this as an illustration, of course. But that, because he's pretty wise. Anyway, let's don't get into that. But Michael Bates, see, what he said might not have been connected to the source of God. Yeah. It's probably connected to his older brother, Larry Bates. Come talk to him now, right? You know what I'm saying? Who didn't know nothing either. <laughs> Y'all not helping me today. See, so true worshipers then mean people that are worshiping God for who He is. But more than just who He is, but who God Himself says He is. Not what religion taught us that He is, but who God says that He is Himself. Say amen if you can see that. True means a living connection between what is true and its source. It means to be real, true, and genuine. Literally, it means that which is opposed. Whenever you hear the word truth, it means that which is opposed to what is imperfect, defective, and frail. This is so true that it shines against everything that is a lie. Amen. That's, wow. good. That's, That's good. good. That's good. But now it gets bigger because it's talking about worship, true worshipers. In the Greek it means to literally, worship means to kiss the ground. When prostrating, you know what prostrating means? It means to fall flat on your face in front of somebody, a superior in this case. Listen to this definition. In the Greek this word worship, true worshipers now, worshiper means to kiss the ground when prostrating before a superior, somebody superior to you. To worship, ready to fall down, prostrate oneself, to adore on one's bended knees. Wow. Literally, that's what it means. Now, that's what Jesus said. God's looking for true worshipers that are worshiping God for who He is Amen. and who God Himself says He is, not lies that religion right. has taught us, but who God really says He is. And you worship Him so much that you recognize that you're nothing in His presence. He's everything. So you fall to your knees or you fall on your face and just say, God, I give you my everything. But literally, it means to kiss. The word worship is the kissing ground between the Christian and God. Now, a lot of times in worship, James, I'll use you, you're a man, but you're my son. Let me do it. Let me see your hand just a minute. But a lot of times you, you see people in worship to kiss the hand of the superior. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's where we get that idea from, to kiss the ring of the, of the, of the monarch or whatever it might have been. But the idea behind it is, is God. now Jesus is telling us to worship God this way. Mm-hmm. So it means to literally kiss the kissing ground, to kiss between God and the person to be because he's so much greater. Mm-hmm. Listen to all of this. This is powerful. It's described as the kissing ground, and it suggests the willingness. Now, this is where we draw the line between the true worshipers and those that are not. You ready? This word worship means to suggest the willingness to make all necessary physical gestures of obeisance. See, this is what happens in most of our worship services. There's no physical gestures, and we're worshiping God. But a real worshiper is one that's willing to make all physical gestures, there's physical demonstration of obeisance. Now remember what obeisance is? Is to recognize that somebody that you're worshiping is superior to you. And that might mean to get on the knees. It might mean I'll show you scriptures to lift the hands. It might mean, of course, certainly to sing about But I'm going to tell you why it's so important to praise and sing. Praise, of course, is one of the expressions of our worship. Now you got John chapter 9 open, correct? Amen. All right, let's look at the scripture, John chapter 9, verse 35. And this is, 
Again, now, this is the man, the blind man that was healed. And let's just look at it a little bit and see something here. Verse 35 through 38 is where we're going to read. Say amen to that. Amen. Picking up in the middle of the story, I'm starting with the 35th verse. Here's what happened. Jesus heals this blind man, and the church leaders, I'm going to say pastors for just to get our thing in, the pastors of the synagogue, the church, got so mad at the man that was healed, they knew him because they grew up in the church. They knew he had been blind all of his life. They even asked the parents, is this really your son? Did he really get a miracle? Well, you know that's our son. Well, Finally, the man, they threatened the man and said, we're going to excommunicate you. We're going to cast you out. That means kick you out of church. That, that doesn't mean make you get out of the service alone. That means we're taking your name off the roll. You're no longer a member at our church if you don't take the credit away from Jesus who you said healed you because we say Jesus is a sinner. And he said, if he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is I was blind, now I see. And the parents who had their child and he was born blind, now this, man, this is a grown man now, but they weren't even happy over his miracle because they would rather be a part of that dead church. Wow. They didn't want to get kicked out, and they said, they said, is this your son really now? Is this your son? Did he really get this miracle? And Jesus did all this. And so they didn't get kicked out. Here's what the parents said. Rather than saying, yes, my son is seeing for the first time in his life. He's got eyes. He can see. He's been 40 years without it. Rather than saying that, they said, well, he's a grown man. Ask him. Yep. That's right. Why? They didn't want to get kicked out. Now, all this is in the previous verses. So we're picking up when Jesus now, who went on, conveyed himself away, doing other things, and then he hears, hey, that guy you healed this morning, got his eyesight, he got kicked out of synagogue. He's no longer welcome in synagogue. So Jesus went and found him and said, you really get kicked out? Good for you. I can't go there because of time. Basically, this is true. Right, verse 35. So Jesus heard that they had cast him out, excommunicated. And when he found him, he said unto him, now, the man just got his miracle today, said, uh, Jesus says to him. Now, remember, the man, when Jesus healed him and walked off, he didn't even, <laughs> he not even met Jesus yet. Jesus just does the miracle and goes. And so he comes up to him and says, hey, do you believe on the Son of God? And said, hey, the man's thinking, this is the guy that got my healing. Yeah. I'll, he said, uh, who is he, Lord, and I, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, you both see him now, and it's he that's talking with you that's the Son of God. He introduced himself as, I'm the Son of God. And verse 38 says, And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Yes. Now, that's kind of interesting. It says, he said, Lord, I believe, and I worshipped him. But if we had the Greek here, knowing what we know now, it says, it would say it like this. He said, yes, then, Lord, if you're the Son of God, because you just brought healing to me, and you declare yourself Son of God, then I believe. And he fell down on his face, prostrated before him, and gave him obeisance. Amen kissed on his feet, whatever it might have done. All that's included. So look in the, in the CJB version of that. It says, Lord, I trust you, he said, and he kneeled down in front of him. OJB, this is Orange Juice Bible, says, I'd like to say that. That just makes me think of that every time. OJ, whatever that is. OJ version says, he fell down prostrate. Now, prostrate means to fall face in the dirt. He fell down prostrate before Jesus. That's what it says for worshipped him. And then the Passion Translation, are you ready? It says he threw himself at his feet and worshipped him. So there's, see, these are these physical, I'm trying to say this where you get it. These are these physical demonstrations, gestures of worship. Some say if Jesus were here like that to me, like he was to that man, I'd fall down at his feet and I'd worship him too. If he would just appear to me, well, there's a question that comes up with that. Why doesn't Jesus just, when we're worshiping in church, why don't he just appear in front of us? 
just right there in front of us? Why don't He appear where we can see Him in all of His glory in His presence? I'm going to answer that in a way that this is going to be real pertinent to what we're going to look at real quickly this morning. I want you to understand this. If Jesus were to appear in front of us as we worship Him, I mean, just, just appear in front of every one of us, our eyes could see Him in all of His majesty and glory, then our worship would be a spontaneous worship because of what we see. He can't afford to do that to us. Because Jesus loves, longs to see us shaped into a worshiper that will worship God no matter what we see. I better tell you this. This is why church is a big deal. This is why what we're talking about today on worship is a big deal. Because you are right now today in your life being shaped for your role in eternity. Amen. Wow. You're not not going to just live any way you want to and then one day go to heaven and say, okay, now straighten me out. I'm here now. And he's like, no, I've been working 30 years trying to straighten you out. I need to get you ready for that. You say, well, what does that mean? I don't know. You're going to have to deal with that yourself. But I'm just saying he longs to see us shaped now that we don't worship him because of what we see because he needs us to be able to stand yes. in the midst of adversity and be a worshiper, a true worshiper of him. Yes. And when all circumstances say what he promised me is not true, I stand and say it is yes. true because I'm a worshiper of God and I'm going to worship him and not be changed. It's easy. In other words, it's easy to worship God when everything's sunny. That's right. But it's harder to worship him when there's contrary circumstances and so he's having every day of our life to shape us Jesus I was going through that and I started praising you but I didn't feel like your presence was there why didn't I feel your presence because I needed to shape you into a worshiper that wasn't based on feeling and emotion I need you to be I need you to be trained to be a worshiper because sometimes I'll need you on the front line of the battleground to stand up in the middle of everything and say God's word is true and not come off of that and I need you to be shaped just that way say amen if you can see that so Jesus longs to see us shaped that way in the middle of adversity. We actually are being shaped now. Don't ever forget that. You're actually being shaped right now for your role in eternity. So think about that every day you get up. Today I'm being shaped for my role throughout eternity. And once our wills are shaped right, that in the middle of difficulties we can give Him worship and praise, then we'll never, never, ever be controlled by those circumstances. And He knows that. And so he works with us every day. He said, I've got to get you to a place that you're not going to be controlled by circumstances. Again, if he appeared in front of us today and we all could see him and we knew it was Jesus, the nail scars were in his hands and he just appeared and walked through walls and did all the things. If he did that for us, we would always be moved only by circumstances. And sometimes the circumstances are just contrary. And so he can't afford that with us. We can't afford that in our own lives. When we become a people that will exalt him, worship him for who he is and not based on circumstances, then it's through our praise, which is an expression of that worship, through our praise that we start establishing strength to overcome the adversary, the enemy and the adversary, which caused the adverse circumstances. When we start praising Him, once we learn to worship Him, no matter what circumstance, I'm not going by sight, not going by feeling, but when we worship Him because of who He is and who He said He is, and it's based on the origin of the Scripture, and that's alone, I don't need the circumstances to change to tell me He's worthy of worship in the midst of this problem. I'm going to worship Him. When we do that, then our praise begins to perfect strength in us, spiritual strength in us, so that we can overcome the enemy who caused the adverse circumstance. Amen. All right, now two scriptures. I got to show you this right quickly. Turn to Psalm 8. Now, two openings at the same time. Please look at these in your scriptures. 
Psalm 8. And as soon as you find Psalm 8, find Matthew 21 as well. Psalm 8, verse 2, and we're going to read Matthew 21, verse 16. Now, I want you to see both of these scriptures together. In Matthew 21, I'm going to read first Psalm 8, but let me just point out something. In Matthew 21, Jesus quotes what we're about to read in Psalm 8. Okay. And so let's look at how he quotes it, but let's first of all see what the quotation is, the source. You ready? Yes. Psalm 8, verse 2, David says, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, or out of the mouth of children and suckling babies, God has ordained strength. Yes. Strength for what? Strength because of our enemies, so that we might still or stop the enemy, and the avenger. So in other words, out of the mouth of children, God says, comes a strength that is able to stop the one enemy who caused the adverse circumstances that I'm worshiping God for deliverance from. Because he's the deliverer, right? All right, so Jesus said, and again, look at it again, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings has God ordained strength. In Matthew 21, this is where Jesus came into Jerusalem. He's riding on the donkey. People were taking palm branches and what have you, and they were strawing them to make a pathway for him to ride. He's riding on the donkey. They put their own clothes a lot of times on the donkey to make him. And what were they doing? Waving the, the branches and, and making a, instead of a dirt road, they were making this beautiful olive branch road or palm branch road, whatever. And they were putting their clothes there and doing all this. And what were they doing? Well, this was a tradition. Anytime a king would come back, into the city from battle. That's the way that people would greet their king, David and different ones. They would wave the palm branches. They were proclaiming Jesus as the king and they were worshiping him. And then the little children run around saying, Hosanna, blessed is he, Jesus, who comes in the name of the Lord. And the religious leaders didn't like it. They said, do you hear what these people are saying about you? And Jesus said, yeah. But did you never read that they're doing? Because they told, these religious leaders told Jesus to make them shut up all that worship and praise. Now, remember, Jesus is the one who said, hey, if they don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. That's right. Amen. I mean, boy, they've got to have a voice. And I'm not going to stop them because they're doing the right thing. We were created to be worshipers of God. Well, let's pick up on that. But he quotes this verse. Now, keep it open. Remember, it says, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, that has ordained strength. Now, look how Jesus quotes it. They come to him in verse, verse 16. They come to him and they said unto him, Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And these people are working. Do you hear that? And Jesus said, Unto them, yeah. And have you never read in Psalm 8 verse 2 that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Amen. Well, what, look back at Psalm 8 2. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have ordained strength. And over here Jesus says out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have perfected praise, strength, praise, strength, praise. Either Jesus misquoted Psalm 8 2. Either he misquoted or he gives us insight into what that scripture means. That when we start praising God, we perfect praise or we perfect strength in our lives. Now what strength to what? Go back to Psalm 8 too. Strength to overcome the enemy to steal. Actually, steal means to stop him. To stop the enemy and the avenger. Now, now you know what the avenger is, an avenger? Forget, forget all the super kids, uh, superheroes and all this stuff. That's a spirit of silliness. But think about what an avenger is, is one that comes to take vengeance for some, on somebody that had done them wrong. Right. Yes. Well, see, the devil got kicked out of heaven, and he's blaming it on you. Right. Amen. He got kicked out of everything he gets into. He got kicked out of heaven. He got kicked out of 
the garden. He got kicked out of people's yeah. lives. And, and so he just blames it on you. So he's come to take vengeance on you. And wow. so that's, he's the enemy and he's the avenger. Right. And he's coming against you. But he says, praise will give you the strength to stop him. Right. Yeah. Praise God. Praise will give you the stopping. Now, that should be the way our church services are designed so that everybody that has been having problems with the avenger and the enemy, they can come in and our praise and worship in church will stop what the avenger is doing. In other words, healings and miracles should best be taking place in the middle of our worship. Because then when we worship, boom, it happens. I told you a couple of years ago about a gentleman that came from somewhere in the Soviet, Russia area. I don't remember what might have been might have been one of the other former Soviets. So anyway, he came from, from that part of Europe. And he came to a church in America. He was a very athletic guy. Just had all kinds, you know, just loved uh, kayaking and rowing and, you know, just all kind of athletic stuff. And he damaged his right shoulder. Medical science finally said to him, there is nothing we can do. You're just going to have to live with the injury. And so he just would not have the use of his right shoulder. And so he, in his country, former country where he's living there, he sold all of his exercise equipment because that life was over for him. He couldn't exercise, do anything. And friends and family kept telling him, so you need to go to this particular church over in America. They pray for, they have miracles and signs and wonders and, and you ought to go. And, and he really went just because they kept saying you ought to go, you ought to go. And he wasn't there really to get his miracle more or less. He was there to kind of uh, evaluate and see what they're doing. You know, you know you've seen right. people like that. And so he came into this particular church and sat in the back and was just sort of sitting there observing, you know, seeing what these people are doing, you know, and I'm here because family helped me get here and they thought I'd get a miracle, but this is kind of weird, you know, and he's just looking around. And it wasn't bothering nobody, just sort of in the back of the church on the, near the back row, when all of a sudden, it was during worship, people were worshiping. Of course, they all had their hands up worshiping, oh, and they were magnifying God. Some were on their face. Some were just, you know, crying. Some were laughing. Some were running. Some were sitting. Some, but everybody was worshiping in all these physical gestures, except him. He wasn't, you know, he just kind of observing. And all of a sudden, somebody behind him spilled hot coffee on him, and he turned around, and there was nobody behind him. And then he realized it wasn't hot coffee, but hot fire just went over, and all of a sudden, he had full use of his arm. What happened? Jesus showed up in the worship and healed him, and he had complete range of motion. Now he's got to go back and buy all of his exercise equipment back. Because he had full, full Woo, use of, of arm. God. God did it in the midst of the worship. That's exactly what we want to happen yes. in our services yes. all the time. Amen. Well, I was just worshiping God, and, and when I did, this happened, that happened. That's the way every worship service is supposed to be if we connect to one another as a body and do the proper worship for who God is. Look deep at this word in Matthew 21. Jesus said, Yea, have you never read in Psalm 8 2 that out of the mouth of babes, and sucklings, God has perfected praise. I want to show you something real interesting about this word praise very quickly. This word praise, we know praise is now just another word that is an expression of worship, right? You can't really separate them. I mean, worship, you say, is deeper and praise is, is louder. That's not really necessarily true, but praise is one of the ways that we express our worship of God. Right. But it's an interesting word, this word praise here in the, in the original language. It, can I give you the real meaning to this word praise? Yes. It literally, in the Greek, means story. It means wow. story. It means story. Wow. To praise God properly means to proclaim His story. Mm. Wow. wow. Okay, that's good. We know a little of the story of God. We know some healing scriptures. Somebody came in needing a miracle. We know some miracle scriptures. Somebody needs a financial breakthrough. We know some financial. That's some of God's story. Not, yeah. not negating that. Yeah. But let me show you a scripture that 
you've probably never paid much attention to, that Jesus basically said, I come with stories from heaven and nobody wants to listen. Wow. Now, do you believe that God could tell me and you some stories? Amen. I grew up in the 60s and early 70s as a child, you know, and you spend a lot of time. In those days, we had a thing. Most of y'all don't know what this is. Write it down. Do some research. They probably got some information on Google. Write this. This is interesting. We had a thing called Front Porch. <laughs> we would sit on that front porch, and we children would listen to stories. Yes. Our grandparents would tell us stories. I knew my great-grandparents on my grandmother's side. My, my daddy's mother's parents were still living. I'd go to their place, Ma and Paul King, we called them, and I'd listen to their stories. I'd go fishing with my great-grandfather, and, and he and I would get in trouble, you know, together, doing things together, taking food out of the refrigerator for catfish bait. We'd get in trouble, that kind of stuff. But he would tell me stories, and my grandmother would tell me stories. My daddy's sister, my aunt, would tell me stories, and, and I loved stories, and I would listen to stories, stories of the family, and things involved gypsies that would come through, and back in the early part of the 1900s and, 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 you know, things that would, spells that would be cast and people have to overcome. Just, just listening to family stories amazed me or hunting trips. And when, when all the Jasper gardeners, gin gardeners, all the gardeners would go to the Ozark Mountains to hunt with family up there. You know, I'd listen to those stories. I've got, I've got the gun my daddy took as eight years old boy to, to go hunt in the Ozark Mountains. You know, those kind of stories just live with me. Right. And I love those stories. And those stories were bringing understanding about my family, about my heritage, right. about people that I was connected to and right. things that made me laugh, things that made me interested, you know, just all that kind of stuff. But God has stories yes. from heaven. Yes. Somebody was talking about this the other day and they said, you know, you ever thought about when the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Ghost came, you know, we hear it, the, they were all in the upper room, 120 of them, the Holy Ghost came, boom, and, and, and he filled the place and there was a sound from What about heaven's side of that? Come on. Wow. Can you, can you just see God in heaven with the Holy Spirit like a coach facing back? Get ready, get ready, get ready. Here you go, here you go. Go, go, go. Sure. You know, and God could tell us that side of the story. Yes, amen. God could tell us the stories about creation. Amen. Let me, let me tell you about the garden. He could tell us all those stories. But the problem is, Jesus says, people are not interested in them. And worship and praise is you and I being interested in his stories. The ones we haven't heard yet. The scriptures we don't even know yet. Let, let me show you this. Turn quickly. My goodness, time's slipping away. John chapter 3. Yes, it is. Turn to John chapter 3 very quickly. And then we're going to worship together. We're going to sing our songs. We're, we're going to get out on time, and, on God's time anyway. And uh, it'll all be good. It'll all be good. But to save time, let's just read 11 and 12. But look up here and just, let me tell you the setting. This is where Jesus is having this long conversation at night with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, you know, is like... Uh, uh, you know, uh, nobody can do miracles, Lord, unless, you know, except it be from God. And, you know, you must be from heaven and that kind of thing. And, and Jesus said, yeah, but no man will see heaven. Never, so, never, nobody will see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. He said, well, how can a man be born again? Does a, does a grown man have to go back into his mother's womb to be born a second time? Jesus said, no, you're looking at natural things. And I'm talking to you about spiritual things. And, and I can't even talk to you that and get your attention. You, you don't, one translation is going to say you're procrastinating Jesus said to Nicodemus, you're procrastinating heaven's information. You're procrastinating with worldly questions. Just take me, my story. Listen to my story. I'm trying to tell you something. See, that's what, that's what he's saying to Nicodemus. Well, let's pick up on that where Jesus says it to him. Verse 11, let's go to 9 so you'll know what I'm talking about. 9, Nicodemus answered and said unto these things, how can all these things be? There's another question. Verse 9, he says, how can all these things be that you're talking about a new birth and born of the Spirit and so on? Verse 11, Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, or verse, verse 10, let me back with 10. Jesus answered Nicodemus and said unto him, Are you a master? Master means teacher. Are you a teacher 
of Israel and know not these things I'm trying to talk to you about? Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that we do know. We, we speak. Wait a minute now. It's Nicodemus and Jesus in the middle of a dark street alone talking. When Jesus says we, he's not talking about anybody else because there's nobody else there. Just the two of them having this long conversation. He's not talking about Nicodemus because Nicodemus is the one he's referring to as you don't understand these things. He's not talking about his own disciples because most stuff Jesus taught his own disciples couldn't figure out what in the world he was saying. You're going to miss this now if you're not paying attention. Most of his own disciples would go, Jesus, you said this out there. What did you mean by that? So he's not talking about his disciples, fellow teachers. We, me, Father, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. Yes, yes. I'm standing here talking to you, and me and Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit have some information to give you. We have some stories to tell you. Wow. Watch this now, verse 11. Verily, verily, I say unto you, we, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we have things that we know, and we testify, and we're telling you about these things that we've seen, and yet you don't receive our witness or you don't seem interested in it. If I told you earthly things and you won't believe them, how on earth am I going to tell you about heavenly things? Let's look at verse 12 and let me read it a little bit different just to strike your thinking. If I've told you earthly stories and you can't understand them, how in the world are you going to understand when I tell you heavenly stories? Amen. The word Amen. praise means stories. Right. I've got stories. Better write this down somewhere. These stories will only come out in worship and praise. Now, you might get a preacher might get through on a Sunday morning preaching and has told the best story he's ever told in all his life of ministry. But there's still more stories you don't know yet with God. So don't ever think we're running out of stories. God's got stories that you would love to hear. I, I, want, to, I want to know the understanding of the story of Jacob and those peeled trees and, and how the animals begin to produce and the genetic miracle. I want to understand God's side of that story. But these stories will only come out in our worship and our praise because when we praise God, we're tapping into a place that no human's ever been. Ever, ever, oh my God, get this. Every time we worship in praise, we ought to realize this is not a typical praise worship service. We are moving into a dimension of heaven we've never entered before. Nobody on earth has ever entered this dimension. And God's about to release some things. That's why prophetic words begin to come out in worship and praise if it's done properly. Prophetic words, if worship is done Amen. properly, people begin to sing. Sometimes songs come out. Jeremiah, you know as a, as a psalmist, sometimes songs will come out that are not to be recorded. They're never going to be sung again, but they were for that moment to Amen. release an information Amen. to somebody. Yes. It's not about whether or not it sells a million records or something like that. It's not about that. It's about, and some, some will do that. But it's about something coming out with information from heaven yes. that the body of Christ has never known or this Amen. congregation's never known, and Amen. it'll only come out in the heart of that worship. Yes. So Jesus says, I've got stories to tell you, but nobody seems interested wow. in my stories. Wow. You know, I was talking about my grandparents and so on. I, I noticed as I got older, because my granddaddy, for example, my step-grandfather, which was the only grandfather I knew, so he was a grandfather to me, and my grandfather would tell stories, and he, he told the generation before him the same stories. But they, by this time, they're not interested in his stories anymore, and they're gone, and I'm the only one sitting there because I was interested in his stories. But see, sometimes people lose interest, and that's what Jesus said. Right. You've lost interest in my stories. Right, right. And I've got stories to tell if you just become a worshiper wow. of me wow. and Amen. a praiser. Amen. In the uh, Message Bible, message Jesus said, Listen carefully. I'm speaking sober truth to you. Yes. I speak only of what I know by experience from being in heaven. Because yes. he just got through saying, 
the Son of Man is in heaven while I'm sitting on this road talking to you. He said, listen carefully. I'm speaking a sober truth to you. I speak only of what I know by experience. I give witness only to what I have seen with my own eyes, Jesus said. There's nothing secondhand here, no hearsay. Yet instead of facing the evidence that I'm giving you and accepting it, you're procrastinating with questions, Nicodemus. If I tell you things that are plain as the hand before your face and you don't believe me, what use is there in telling you of things you can't see? The things of God. I've got stories of God to tell you that you're procrastinating with silly questions. What should you do? Just say, I worship you. You know more than I could ever know in a lifetime. I have stories to tell you. And these are released through our praise and worship. When we start releasing through proper praise and worship, then people are going to start experiencing, as we said, the strength of heaven to stop the avenger. That's what happens the moment you start really entering true worship. Quickly, Psalm 71. Psalm 71, real quick. If any man be a worshiper of God. Watch this and we're going to worship together. Psalm 71, 15. Of course, the Bible's full of scriptures like what I'm about to tell you, but I'm, I'm wanting to center up on this that God's got stories. David was a psalmist and a prophet. Now, he was a worshiper. Now, we got Sunday mornings to come that I plan on sharing some of this with you, but now one thing I'm going to tell you one day is that David was a worshiper to the point that he danced before the Lord and it absolutely embarrassed his wife. Because she was embarrassed of the worship dance, her womb became barren. So there's dangers to belittling a person's worship or refusing to worship. There's dangers to it because it made her barren. All right, but David, now here's the idea. David was a worshiper. We can learn something from him. He was a worshiper. He was a praiser. We have the whole book of Psalms that he's the majority behind all of it, majority of it. And so we've got these worship songs that came out of his spirit as he worshiped God, praise that came out of him, and it brought parts of God's story. That's why we read the book of Psalms because it's revealing us some of the story that God told David in praise and worship, and he brought it out to us. And so look what David says as a psalmist. And because of time, we're just going to read this little passion of scriptures, 15 through 24, very quickly. David said, as a psalmist, as a praise, as a worshiper, my mouth will show forth God's righteousness and salvation all the day. In other words, I'm going to tell God's story. Through my praise and worship, I'm telling God's story. Do you see that? For I know not the number of them. There's more stories than I can ever count. Here's what David said. David said, I'm a worshiper. He was a worshiper above anybody in his generation maybe of any generation. And he said, the more I worship God, the more I tap into stories. And the more I tap into His stories, the more I realize there's more stories to be told. There's a a vast treasure of God's stories He's wanting to reveal if somebody would just worship Him. And he said, I've learned to do that a little. So he says, 15 again, Oh, my mouth will show forth your righteousness and your salvation all the day. I know not the numbers thereof. I'll go in the strength of the Lord God. Those stories will give me strength to stop the avenger. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of the righteousness even of yours only. I'm telling your story, God. Oh, God, you have taught me from my youth your stories, in other words, and hitherto I have declared your wondrous works to tell others your stories. And so when I'm old and gray-headed, don't leave me, don't forsake me till I've shown your strength, your praise, your story to my generation and your power that comes through praise to everyone that's to come. Your righteousness also, O God, is very high. You have done great things, O God. Who is like unto you? See, he's talking about his story. Verse 22, because time just skipped down. Well, verse 21, he says, You'll increase my greatness. The more I tell your story, the more I increase. Verse 22, I will praise you with the psaltery, even of truth. O my God, I will sing with the harp. 
O thou holy one of Israel, my lips will greatly rejoice when I sing unto you, and my soul which thou hast redeemed. Now watch verse 24. My tongue also shall talk. That means tell stories, right? Yes. Yes. Right? Amen. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long. I'll tell your stories, in other words. And they are confounded. People, the enemies are confounded, for they are brought unto shame that seek my hurt. The avenger is stopped that seeks my hurt because I'm telling your stories in praise and worship. That 15th verse, he said, I'll tell of your goodness all the day long. I'll speak of your salvation, uh, though it's more than I can understand. Look at it in the CEV. He says, all day long I will tell the wonderful things you do to save your people. I'm telling your story. But you've done much more than I could possibly know or understand. And then that last verse, he said, God, don't just watch from the sideline. Now, now, well, this is the message in the whole passage. I'm sorry, this is the message. And this is the whole passage he's talking about. I'm going to tell your story, but come and help me. Now, watch this. He says to God, God, don't just watch from the sidelines. Come on, run to my side. My accusers, make them lose face, God. Those out to get me, make them look like idiots. Now, I like that because I, I have a tendency to use that word quite often when I preach, and I thought I would kind of brag on that one in the Scripture. He said, those out to get me make them look like idiots while I stretch out reaching for you and daily add praise to praise. While I da- daily add praise to my praise, make my enemies stop because there's a strength to overcome them. I'll write the book. Now, this is what I want you to see. He says, David says, I'll write the book on your righteousness. I'll tell your story. I'll write the book on your righteousness. I'll talk up your salvation all the live long day. Never will I run out of good things to write or say. I come in the power of the Lord God. I post signs marking your God's right away. Now that's an interesting thing. I wish I had time to talk about it. He says, when I praise and worship and proclaim your story, he said, I'm actually posting signs to get out of the way. God's coming through. He's saying, he's saying, wide load, get out of the way. God's coming through, and, and you better look out, my enemies, because you're about to be confounded. All from telling God's story through praise and worship. And so that 24th verse, now don't look like we already read it, but this is just out of the message. He said, I'll speak of your righteousness all day long because those who tried to harm me have been defeated and disgraced. And all that comes through during our worship. We worship Him, as I already said to you. Now, this is a big deal, and I have to talk more about it later, but we worship Him for who He is, not for what He can get to us, but because of who He is. And that's when people start having healings and miracles show up. And that's what we saw. We saw that happen to a great degree as a church last December on the night of miracles because we worshiped God as the healer and as the miracle worker for so many weeks prior moving into it, and we saw it manifest to some degree. Maybe small, but to some degree, we saw things begin to happen. I think we need to learn how God wants to do this every time we get up. Amen. I start to say every time we come together in church, that's one thing. He certainly wants to do that as a, as a collective body. But every day you get up, He wants these kind of miracles to happen. Amen. Now, i got to close with this. One more scripture I want you to turn to, and this will be the last one. It's Psalm 102. You're not far from there, just over to the right. Again, this is David talking. And David now has a prophecy. He has a prophecy about a generation to come. And notice what he said, and then I'm going to put two scriptures up on the screen that you're familiar with and just see it and we'll connect it and we'll, we'll sing and worship together as a, as a body. Amen. And, see, and then we'll just see what the Lord might do this morning. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Now this is a prophecy that David gave. This is Psalm 102, verse 18. 
Now remember, he's praising and worshiping, getting into a dimension of God that most people never entered into, and he got into and found stories of God that had not yet been told. So he begins to tell part of God's story that hasn't been told yet, and he prophesies of a generation to come. He says in the 18th verse, he says, This shall be written, prophetically written from God's story, this shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. Now, it's interesting that he says the people that shall be created because there's no record of God creating anybody after Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. David says after 4,000 years of man being on the planet and God only created Adam and Eve and man's been born from them ever since, he says there's coming a generation that God's going to create and he's going to create them for praise. Oh, wow. Come on. Now, why did he do it? Look at this. Why did he create them for, to praise the Lord? Because verse 19 says, He's looked down from the height of the sanctuary from heaven. Did the Lord behold the earth? How did David know this? God told him his story. He said, David, I'm up here. I'm looking down from the height of heaven and I'm looking down on the earth and I hear, verse 20, the groaning of the prisoner or those people that are bound. I hear people that are hurting and I'm here to loose them that are appointed unto death to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and His praise in Jerusalem. He says there's coming a generation that'll be created. Nobody's been created since Adam and Eve. But he said there's coming a generation that'll be created and they'll be created to praise because I want to set captives free. Their praise, they can do so much praise and worship in a church building that it'll become an atmosphere that the sick and the impotent and the halt and the lame can come and receive their miracles from heaven. Is this helping anybody? All right. Generation to be created. Who on earth could that be talking about? Well, here's your familiar scripture in, look on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. Now, look at the Passion Translation about this new creature. It says, now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. One translation says, a, a Christian becomes a new creation that never existed before. The Christian is the generation that David prophesied about is coming to be a place or a habitation of praise so that God can do miracles on the earth to set captives free. We're that new creation. Look look at another scripture on the screen. We all know this scripture in 1 Peter 2.9 that talks about us. It says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What for? That you should show forth the praises of Him. We're a created generation to show forth the praises who's called us out of darkness into light. But the idea is, why does God want us still on this earth? You, you asked yourself, why didn't... Listen, the moment you got born again... When, what year did you get born again, Brother Joel? You was 14 years old, so that was three or four years ago. <laughs> Help me. Give me a close you can. In the 1970. All right, now look at this. In 1970, what a good illustration as a young boy. At 14 years of age, the moment he got born again, he could have gone to heaven right then. He was welcome there. God had a place for him. Why did God leave him on this earth? the rest of these years. Why'd God leave him on this earth if he had a place in heaven for him? Does God want him in heaven? Yeah, can't wait to have him there. But God looked down from heaven and saw the groanings of the hurting people and said, I need you to be a generation of praisers. Create an atmosphere so those people can get through. If we'd start looking at our life like that, the moment you got saved, you was worthy of heaven. But God left you here to bring praise on the earth, proclaiming God's story. I'm telling you, I hope you understand this. It's not just the words we say in our praise. You know, if I say, God, you're a great healer, well, then the one next to me hears, he's a great healer. He's hearing that part of the story. I understand that. But I'm saying if I'm just a worshiper of God, even in tongues, in the Spirit, God's revealing His story into the hearts of people. Right. Glory. The, the man that came, not expecting a, a miracle, really, wow. he just came looking, and he got one, 
he, he experienced kind of part of God's story. He went back to his country and said, let me tell you what God will do. You just get in the atmosphere where God's moving, where people are worshiping him, you'll get what you need from God. So he's proclaiming the story. Did you get anything out of that today? So we spend some time getting deeper into this. So our job is to worship and praise, bringing release of the healing light of heaven to people, setting prisoners free. We have a responsibility. The Lord said this to me late last night. He said we have a responsibility as a church to become avid worshipers of God. So we come and worship with a purpose and learn. I'm going to ask you to really work with me on this. Learn to come into the service connecting, not disconnecting. Come into the service connecting with hearts. Love one another. Hug people when you come into the service and stay connected so that when we hit that first note of worship and we lift our hands to Him, God's presence shows up. We know what to do.